Well, today, I'm going to talk about something that the Lord put on my heart probably oh, a bit over a couple of months ago. I was thinking um, as I was driving along, and I thought, thinking about people and churches and where they're going and how bad it's getting in this world. And the Lord put on my heart, how much do they trust God? How much do I trust God? How much do we trust God? Um, and I, it's, it's a thought that we all need to really, really ponder. How much do we trust God? Do we worry? Do we have a God enough money? Is that, that a problem to us? Can we pay the rent? Can we find a job? Will we default on our loans? Can we buy our nice clothes or afford an airline ticket? Do we risk persecution? I mean, none of us want to stand on a street corner and get rotten tomatoes thrown at us, do they? Do we, really? Might I get assaulted? Or will someone steal my stuff? And all around the world, is war coming? So many things to worry about. So many problems. Are we afraid of those problems? Are we afraid? I'm sure in our hearts, somewhere, we'll find something. This is what the challenge is. All of these are perfectly normal human concerns. Perfectly normal. But is that what God wants us to be burdened with? In Luke chapter 12, verse 15... Jesus said to his disciples, Take heed and beware of covetousness, so the things of the world. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And that's, that sort of strikes even to me. I mean, these, these words are hard for me to speak and not feel somewhat aggrieved in myself. Because I mean, I've got lots of stuff. You know? We all have, to some degree. We are tuned by this world to seek success by possessing things. We need to possess material, material things. Nice clothes, nice car, nice house, all the latest gadgets. Here's one right here, latest gadgets. We're tuned to all of these things we worry about Losing. Think about it. You worry about losing that choice. It's nice to have enough. It's even nicer to have an abundance. And it's miserable to have not enough. Ponder this. How much do you truly need? How much do you truly need? I know of minimalists out there that get themselves down to 50 different items. 50. As a matter of need. How much do we truly need? Have you ever sat down and thought about it? What the essential things are and what things are just nice to have for worldly appearances. And 
I'm going to read a familiar passage of the Bible today. It's out of um, Luke 12, verses 22 to 34. Now, most of us know this because we all know there's a certain passage in there. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Let's read it. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what to eat, nor about the body, what to put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Fat people are no better than skinny people. A pauper's rags don't make him a bad person. Dress him up in designer clothes, he's still exactly the same person. He doesn't change. There's confirmation of it. Don't worry about it. It's, it makes no difference. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you are then not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? It's making a reference to, to your food and your clothing and all these things. And if you, you could sit down and think as hard as you like. Think all you like. And stature is not just another half an inch. But nobody will respect you anymore if all you're doing is thinking about being good. It makes no difference. Think about it all you like. Until it becomes action, nothing can happen. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now Solomon had the greatest wisdom of any man in the world. And the lily of the field was better off. If then God so clothes the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow thrown into an oxen, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Mm. How much do you trust God? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that they need these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Do not fear, do not fear, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which will not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And yes, there is no thieves in heaven. You can't, you can't lose it all up there. But because we've seen so many years of worldly teaching where we have it in our psyches, it's in our psyche that the things we've got in this world are important. Do we even think about it? We don't think about it. We just instinctually say, I need that, I need that, I need more money, oh, I'm going to need those, or I'll need that. 
we instinctively do it. It's ingrained into our mentality, right from primary school or younger, even when we're a kid. Focusing on worldly things is so deeply ingrained that we do not even consci- we're not even conscious. It's our natural instinct. How do we change those things? How do we overcome those human-like reflexes? There is so much in the Bible about overcoming. We've all read it. Overcome this, overcome that. In fact, it's all about discarding the trappings of the world and seeking the things of God. Everything in the Bible is angling towards God showing us that we should be seeking him. Even the Old Testament, they wanted that communication with God. And in the New Testament, we have Christ who allows that communication with God. But that's what it's all about, seeking that communication with God. Years of worldly aspirations need to be exchanged for heavenly aspirations. We need to stop worrying about what's going on here and worry about what we're doing up there. We have the promise of God that he will look after us, not only where we read it in Luke here, but we read it in many other places in the Bible where God says he'll look after us. We think of the uh, disciples. How many of you here would see a man walk past and he goes, hey, get over here, follow me, follow me. How many of you would drop everything and get up and go? I'd take a lot of convincing, I can assure you that. But the disciples got up and went. They dropped the nets that they were helping. That's their their livelihood, fishing. Okay, Simon, Peter, and dropped the nets. And off he went. Matthew, the tax collector, sitting under the tree collecting taxes. Hey, you, over here, follow me. He got up and left his job. Walked straight after Jesus. We must focus on these promises. We must study them. We must meditate on them. We must understand them and trust in them until they become our new reality. We need to get a new reality. We need to change the reality of this world and get a reality of the heavenly. We need a new reality. The things of God must replace our ingrained natural desire for worldly things. And it won't be easy. It won't be easy at all. We read in the Bible about running a race. Now, everybody here would know something about running a race. At some point in your life, you've all tried to run a race or ran a race. It's one step at a time. The next hill, the next mile, the next ungodly desire, the next habit or the next fear. And it takes studying God's word with prayer and meditation to be able to keep running that race, to get that next step, that next mile, that next desire or habit gone. All our lives outside of Christian fellowship have shaped us to the world. Can we now spend enough time with God in his word, in prayer and communication to shape us for heaven? So we've been living our whole lives in this world that's trying to shape us Now we've got to shape ourselves for heaven. 
Sounds like a tall order. Can we replace years of bad ed- education? And I'll say this. I, with just a couple of hours on each Sunday, we probably can't. We probably can't. Devotion is needed to win a race. Or even finish a race. Especially when you're fighting against yourself. And that's what it is. You're fighting yourself. This, um, Roger has said he's run a marathon. We've heard him say it. And he said, and you get to a certain point, and then you've got to overcome your natural body's instinct and desire to quit. To quit. I'm reminded of that passage in the Bible where it says, what man builds a tower without first seeing if he's got enough money and enough stuff to finish it? I hope everybody who gave their heart to the Lord has enough faith to finish building your tower or finish running your race. We see it in so many places in Bible phrases like die to yourself, repent, turn from your past ways, take up your cross daily. Well, I think of the cross as your old sinful ways died there, so that's our reminder. We take it up daily, our reminder. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Follow Jesus. These are all telling us where our commitment should be. And that brings me back to that opening title. How much do you trust God? Corinthians says there's no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be attempted, tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation also he will make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. What's holding us back? What's stopping us committing at all to Christ? What's stopping us from dropping everything and giving it to Jesus? Will we drop the reins and let God lead What have you given up? What are you giving up? What more do you need to give up in order to live according to God's word? This is God's word. And every time I read it, I'm convicted of something else. We sing songs with gusto and and Helen and Emily even sung one of them today. And it has lines like, God is in control. Our God will find a way. All to Jesus I surrender. In Christ alone. But is that our truth? Have we really surrendered at all? We sing it like we have, but have we? Deep in our hearts do we know we're hanging on to something? What parts of our lives do we still want to control? Oh, never mind that bit, Lord. I've got it covered. That's my responsibility. There's places in our lives that are like that. I'm sure of it. If you do it yourself, does God get the glory? Do you thank him for the things that you do yourself? I've commented quite a lot of times, in church even, and I've said, think about all the things that could go wrong out there in the world today that haven't. And praise God for them. Because it is not your doing that's prevented it. 
It's God's hand. It's God's hand. Back a little bit further in Luke 12, verses 16 to 21, we read about, And then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man was plentiful. And he thought to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I shall say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be for which you, uh, which you have provided? For so, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Think about that. That rich man put in the work. He was rich. He could afford to hire slaves. He could afford to put the dung on the heaps. He could afford to grow the good crops and farm the land. What did he do? Did he praise God for the extra bonus? No. He said, that's mine. I've worked for that. I'm going to stockpile that. That's mine. What did God say? Fool. You're not giving me glory because I've made it for you. You know? Today, your soul will be required of you. That's it. He's gone. So much for having riches. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Man was rich in what he considered to be his own achievements. He didn't think to thank God because he believed his own toil had provided him with those blessings. That's where we've got to be careful. We must remember what we do is the will of God. What we do is through Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how mundane it is. We need to thank the Lord. Jared's a farmer. I'm sure he goes out, thank you Jesus, praise the Lord. My crops have given me something. There's a movie around faith like potatoes. I'm not sure if Jared's probably watched it. A man who planted potatoes in an area of potatoes shouldn't grow and they looked miserable. But he had faith. And he got a fantastic crop of potatoes out of that paddy. It wasn't the work of his own hands. It was the work of God. Luke 12.33 has got to be the greatest challenge out of this passage that I've read. And it's a pretty hard one. What does it say? Sell what you have. Give alms. Provide yourselves. Money bags will which will not grow old, a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches or moth destroys. Oh, that idea hurts, doesn't it? Oh, goodness gracious me. Is it our ultimate goal? You know, we, we hear of Ananias and Sapphira who, who died when they sold it all and they didn't give it all to God. But is that the reason they died? No, the reason they died is because they had made a promise and tried to deceive God. If they'd said, oh, we'll give you half and done that, they would have been fine. I'm not sure if... No, sorry, not sure. I am sure we are not condemned for not selling everything and giving it to the poor. But I'm also sure that if we did, God will be faithful and true 
to his word and provide for us. Okay? So there's a certain element here of fear that we want to still have a house to live in. But we still want to believe that God would provide for us if we had nothing and gave it all to the poor. And there's plenty of poor around. There's plenty of people around that need the money that we're sitting on. There's plenty of people around that need what we've got. But are we willing to give it all up and trust God to provide? How much do we trust God? Why don't I do it? Well, I can simply say I still struggle from some pride. I still struggle with fear and I still haven't trusted God enough. That's why I haven't done it. It's just like that. Can I do this? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. How about you? Think about it. Read the Bible and see what value earthly goods have to God. See if there's any value in earthly goods according to God. 2 Timothy 3. One to seven. But know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Slanderers without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, I'm not going to say anybody here is going to show those to the extreme. But somewhere in there there's stuff that's sort of, are we headstrong? Do we really uh, forgive everybody? Is there people we struggle to love? Okay? What does it say next? Having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. So when you think of godliness and power, what is the true power of God? How can we wield it? That's probably more to the point. How can we wield the true power of God? 100% commitment to him. Give it all. Then God can wield through us. We are not having a form of godliness but denying its power. When we commit 100% and trust God, we can have that form of godliness and all of its power. It is true godliness, isn't it? The true power of God can work through us and it doesn't have to be in little things. Jesus said, you will do greater things than I. Now I can't say I've raised the dead or fed 5,000 from a basket of loaves and fishes. But we're told that if we commit, we can. God can through us. We hear miracles, not very often, but we hear miracles. Those people are truly connected to Christ. I believe we can all connect like that with Christ. 
all of us. We need to stop worrying about the trappings of this world. This is a race for eternal life after death. We need to keep running and breaking the holds of our worldly obsessions and our selfish desires. We need to keep running and get to the finish before death overtakes us. We need to give God our 100%. We need to study, meditate and communicate. These things will increase our faith and understanding. It will give us more confidence to give more to God. And the more you give, the more faith you will gain. And the more confidence you'll get and on and on and on. And I said it about the resting and uh, quickening and rejoicing in God. It becomes self-perpetuating. Okay? The more you do it, the more you get. So God says to me, even as I'm talking, what's holding me back? Why am I so slow? I pedalled 10 k's on a bike yesterday. Lynn looks up and says, mm, yeah, the average bike rider can do 15. Like, oh. yeah, like, I've got further to go. We've all got somewhere to go. We've all got an ultimate goal. We want to get to the end of the race before death catches up. And we know that somewhere in the Bible, someone did it. Who did it? Who, who in the Bible got to the end of the race? David did. No, Enoch was taken away. He runs. David did. King David. What does it say about King David? He fulfilled all the Lord had for him. And he rested. He got to the end of the race. It is achievable. Okay? We know the others got to the end of the race too, but it's not, not quite mentioned the same as what King David is, as in having achieved all the Lord had for him to do. Who here can say that they're close to achieving all the Lord has for them to do? So there, that's it, isn't it? How much do you trust the Lord? Do you want to get to the end of what he has for you? I'd love to. It'd be amazing. It'd be amazing to be able to uh, see those miracles performed, well, not just by myself, but by the people of this church, by the people of Wattle City Church. You know, miracles. Imagine that. And what does it take? 100% commitment. 100% commitment. God bless you all. Let's, let's pray. Let's just, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we, we struggle through this life thinking, um, thinking of the things that we're missing out on in a worldly sense. But I ask, Lord, that you can put in all our hearts and minds not to think about the things we're missing out on in the worldly sense, but to touch our hearts and thinking out 
what we're missing out on in a heavenly sense because we're worried about the worldly. Help us, Lord, to step out away from the world, step into your kingdom, draw nearer to you. Open our hearts, open our lives, give it all that you may work through us and bless not just us, but the people around us, the township of Bealaba, the township of Denali, the township of Maryborough, Kenya, anywhere we reach, Lord. Help us to remember to trust in you. Put 100% into your hands that you may work through us and we may be a blessing to others because of it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by Wattle City Church. If you Google Wattle City Church, you'll find us on Anchor, Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, and a whole bunch of other platforms. Feel free to listen. We pray that you'll be encouraged by this message and by other messages that you listen to. We praise God and we pray blessings upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.